Hey there, this is Brian Zond, and welcome to my sermon podcast. I'm glad that you're interested in the sermons that I preach here at Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. And if you ever feel inclined to help us by supporting us financially, you can do that at our website, wolc.com. Thank you. Good morning, Word of Life Church. Those of you here, those of you online, local onliners and non-local onliners, <laughs> you know who you are. All right. Um, today, what we're doing is, uh, this is the seventh and final sermon in the series, In the Beginning, Finding Jesus in Genesis. I won't lie, I've had fun. <laughs> I've enjoyed it. I've, I've liked this series. Can you like your own series? Well, I do. I, I like it. In fact, I like it so much that even though we're at the end of Genesis, I'm, st- I'm just going to keep going, and I'm going to go into Exodus. And uh, for the next four Sundays, from now until Advent, there's four Sundays between now and, um, and Advent, I'm gonna, what I've been doing in Genesis, I'm going to do in Exodus. We'll call it, uh, Let My People Go, Encountering Christ in Exodus. Are you ready for that? All right, that's next week. Uh, today, our work at hand is as we reach... The end of the book of Genesis, we find that the most prominent character is Joseph. And so that's who we're talking about today, Joseph. Joseph is the 11th of Jacob's 12 sons. Uh, In more detail, he is the firstborn son of Jacob's beloved wife, Rachel and there's no mistake about it, he's a favored son. Joseph is not considered one of the patriarchs, the founding patriarchs of the Jewish people. That's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Joseph uh, belongs to the 12 tribes of Israel. Joseph became the father of two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, and they become the two half-tribes. I know this is all complicated stuff, but I just thought you should know some of this. He's the uh, father of the two half-tribes that makes one tribe, Manasseh and Ephraim. And the story of Joseph truly is one of the most dramatic, entertaining, and inspirational stories in all of the Bible. We really meet Joseph at age 17. Remember that song, At 17? We meet Joseph at 17. And Joseph lives a life in three pretty distinct stages. Uh, There's this stage of survival. He's just holding on, just trying to make... We'll hear about that. And then there's the stage where he becomes a success. I mean, in a big way, really in the biggest way. And then there's the stage where he actually becomes significant, where he he lives into real God-ordained significance. Uh, But the first thing we need to know about Joseph, and this is important, this is the first thing we need to know about Joseph, he was a dreamer. He was a dreamer. So, Genesis 37, 5, Joseph dreamed a dream. He's 17. He's the favored son. His father has given him the the fabled coat of many colors. And Joseph has a dream. And he tells it to his 11 brothers. He says, hey guys, 
had a dream last night. I dreamed that we were in the field binding sheaves. And guess what? You are all your, all your sheaves, all 11 of your sheaves bowed down to my sheaf. <laughs> and the brothers are like, what is that so? Isn't that a lovely dream? No, that's not what they said. They said, what's wrong with you? Did you... Do you actually think that you're going to have dominion over us? That you're going to reign over us? That we're going to bow down to you? He said, well, that's the dream I had. Then Joseph had a second dream. And this time he told his, his brothers and his dad. He said, hey, I had a dream. The sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. And that's when his father rebuked him. And said, come on, Joseph. Are we to really expect that the whole family is going to bow down to you? We're told that the brothers hated Joseph even more, but Jacob did keep it in mind. Because, you know, Jacob, too, was a dreamer. He'd had his own dreams, had to do with a ladder and meeting God at Bethel. So he kept the dream in mind. Well, all newness more or less, in some way, begins with a dream. I mean, if you're, if you're stuck in an undesirable status quo, probably the first thing you need is some kind of dream of something other, something different, something new. And that's the good thing about dreams, because it's by dreams that we leave the land of limitation. And begin to enter into the realm of infinite possibilities. Because it's free to dream. And you never know what that might open up. And so all newness begins with a dream. And if you're stuck in a bad place, I would suggest let the Spirit begin to inspire some new dreams in you. Right? Come on. Come on, young people, see visions. Come on, old people, dream dreams. Don't stay stuck. Dreams and visions. But just keep in mind, though, that dreams uh, really, I mean, they're important, they're essential, but they're little more than hints to point you in the right direction. That's mostly what they are. And even if the dream is from God and it comes true, in retrospect, you'll say, well, I, I had a dream that pointed me in a new direction, that was good, but how it turned out, I could never have anticipated Dreams are not predictions, and, and you won't really understand the dream until it comes to pass. So next Sunday is the 39th anniversary of this here Word of Life Church. I, I want to take you, though, back. I want to take you, I want to back all, I want to take you back 42 years. Whew, that's a long time ago. Take you back 42 years ago. I was 19. I used to be 19. 42 years ago. At that time, I was living in South Missouri, Shell Knob, Missouri, on Table Rock Lake, working for a Baptist church. Some of you are thinking, that surprises me. I mean, that, first of all, that a, that a Baptist church would hire him, <laughs> and then that he would work for them. I did, you know, for one summer. And while living there and working with First Baptist Church, Shell Knob, Missouri, uh, I would, where I was living was right next to the Mark Twain National Forest, and I, I found a place to pray there, and it was an old abandoned fire tower 
they'd taken the steps out to keep people from, but if you were brave enough, you could just scale the scaffolding and get up in the top of that thing. But you had to be willing to just, you know, climb up the scaffolding. And so I would go up there and I, 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 made, I, I dubbed it my prayer tower. I said, oh, Robert's got a prayer tower? I got a prayer tower. That's what I said. And I would sit up there, read my Bible, and pray. Looking out over the Mark Twain forest and the Ozarks. I liked it a lot. And then the fire tower turned prayer tower started to become dream tower. I started, I started dreaming. I, I was dreaming that this little this coffee house ministry we had, catacombs, might just go all the way and become a full-fledged church. Now, what kind of church? Well, I knew it wasn't going to be a Baptist church. But, you know, what kind of church? I just thought, well, a Jesus church. <laughs> I, didn't have any more, I didn't have any more plans than that. It's just like, it was like a Jesus church where we talk about Jesus a lot, and it's Jesus, and we worship Jesus, and we try to follow Jesus and try to make disciples of people to follow Jesus. That was, that was the dream. The, those are the kind of dreams you can only dream when you're about 19. There's no plan at all. There's no plan. It's just... Maybe we'll do that. Now, um, Joseph's dream and my dream were similar in that they both left out the hard part. <laughs> I mean, Joseph just dreams, people are going to be bound down to me. Woo! I'm gonna be, I mean, it's the stars and the moon and the sun itself are going to bow down to me. We'll see how it unfolds but what's left out is the hard part that that didn't get mentioned um and so the question is can you hold on to the dream during the struggle well one day shortly after announcing these dreams to his brothers who already don't like him because he's the favorite of the father and now they hate him more because you know he's having these kooky dreams about them bound down to him Jacob sends Joseph to go check on his brothers, and they're not going to like that either, who are with the flocks way up in Shechem. And so uh, Joseph travels from Beersheba up to Shechem, where the brothers are with the flocks. And the brothers said, Genesis 37, 19, here comes that dreamer. Come on, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we shall see what will become of his dreams. They've got murder in their heart. They do throw him in a pit. They don't kill him. Reuben talks him out of that. He says, yeah, let's not kill him. We'll throw him in a pit, and, you know, if he lives, he lives. If he dies, he dies. Reuben thought maybe he could come back later on and get him out of the pit. Reuben's the oldest. He's trying to be responsible. But they throw him in the pit, and then perchance, a caravan of Amalekites come along. and They say, wait a minute, let's sell him. Let's sell him. Hey, we got a 17-year-old kid down here. Make a good slave. You want to buy him? And they did. They sold their brother into slavery to the Amalekites. Of course, they have to explain his absence, and so they were, they were deceitful. They killed a goat. They took his coat of many colors, smeared the goat's blood all over, and they brought it back as if they're naive. Is, 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 this, is this Jacob's coat of many colors you gave him? Oh, we found it. We found it in the, in the wilderness. A wild beast must have got him. And so now 
They've betrayed their brother, sold him into slavery, and deceived their father into thinking that he's dead. The Amalekites were on their way to Egypt, and when they got to Egypt, they then sold Joseph again, and he becomes a slave in Egypt. And for the next 13 years, Joseph's life was one of constant struggle. Ups and downs. He, he would have these moments where it looked like he was coming up, but something would always knock him back down. Joseph was enslaved, he was accused, he was in prison, but he still you know, had favor and he would rise up, but something would always knock him down. And this went on for 13 years, so that at the age of 30, he's no longer a kid, he's 30, he's not 17 anymore. At 30, after 13, 13 years after this dream of greatness... He's further from his dreams than he's ever been. He's in the dungeon. He's a slave that's in a dungeon. The challenge during the hard times is to hold on to the dream. His brothers had said, let us throw this dreamer into the pit and see what shall become of his dreams. Thirteen years later, he's lower than he's ever been. He's a slave in a dungeon, and you know those words are going through his head. You know those words are like, you know, maybe this all was just ridiculous. Maybe my brothers are right. Maybe I'm just, you know, full of myself. Maybe, maybe this was all just a, a feverish dream of a 17-year-old kid. Maybe, maybe there's no greatness for me, but can he hold on to the dream? And so, you know, I'm a 19-year-old kid up in my up in my prayer tower, turned dream tower, dreaming of a church. And on November 1st, 1981, 39 years ago, we start. And it was nothing but struggle. I thought this Jesus church thing would catch on. <laughs> but there we were down there at 11th and Sycamore. Few people, no money, no encouragement. People standing up in the middle of church and yelling, Ichabod, Ichabod, the glory's departed. Well, dear Lord, we haven't even had time to get the glory, much less lose it. Now you're... And so those were the struggles. And they went on for me for seven years. So what do you do during the struggle? You, you hold on to the dream. What else can you do? It's either that or despair. Joseph was a dreamer. But in his suffering, in his suffering, in prison, Joseph the dreamer got interested in the dreams of others. Oh, that's, you know, it's, it's great to have a dream. It's wonderful. But you're not the only person out there, you know. You're not the only one with dreams. And so what we're seeing in Joseph is some growth in humility. He's still holding on to his dream, but he says, well, you know, I'm not the only one that has dreams. And he begins to show interest in the dreams of others. And Joseph interprets the dreams of Pharaoh's cupbearer and Pharaoh's baker. Then Pharaoh starts having dreams. Nightmares, really. Because Pharaoh is the embodiment of the empire of Egypt. And Egypt is number one 
Of course, that always induces anxiety. Because when you're at the top, there's only one way to go. And he begins to have troubling dreams. And Pharaoh dreams, his first dream was a cow dream. He dreams of cows. Lots of cows in Egypt. He dreamed that there were seven, the Bible says, seven fat, sleek, beautiful cows. If a cow can be beautiful, I'm, I'm not quite sure on that one. Perry says, yeah, okay. All right, so he dreams of seven fat, sleek, beautiful cows. But then coming up out of the Nile were seven skinny, gaunt, ugly cows. And the seven skinny, gaunt, ugly cows ate up the seven fat, sleek, beautiful cows. And after the ugly, skinny cows had eaten the fat, beautiful cows, the, the skinny, ugly ones didn't look any better. They're still just the skinny and gaunt and ugly. This dream troubled him. He says, I know it means something, but I don't know what it means. Then he had a second dream. He dreamed there were seven ears of corn on one stalk, and they were plump and good. And then came along seven blighted, thin ears of corn, and guess what? You know what happens. The thin, blighted ears ate up the good, plump ears of corn. And he's disturbed, he's troubled. He's thinking, you know, the gods are trying to tell me something, but I don't know what it is. And he consulted with his counselors and his magicians and sorcerers, and they couldn't figure it out either. And then the cupbearer said, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's this guy. Believe it or not, he's in your dungeon. But, you know, the spirit of the gods is upon him. And he, he, can, he can interpret dreams. I said, well, get him. Can't even say kind of clean him up. You know, he's been in a dungeon. And he, he goes, I mean, in just one move. Just, just I mean, he's, he's in the dungeon, and now he's in the palace of Pharaoh. They clean him up, you know, make him presentable. And Pharaoh says, well, I understand that you can interpret dreams. And Joseph says, oh, you know, God can interpret dreams. I mean, this belongs to God, not me. But, but sometimes the Spirit of God helps me. So tell me your dreams. And Pharaoh tells Joseph his dreams, and Joseph said, well, you know, it's pretty clear. Two dreams is all about the same thing. It's one thing. We're coming into seven years of plenty. But after the seven years of plenty, there are going to be seven years of famine. And if we don't prepare, if we don't save up, if we don't organize things right during the seven years of plenty come the seven years of famine there's going to be nothing and Egypt will be destroyed so what you need to do Pharaoh is find somebody that is wise to be in charge of this project of during the good years preparing for the bad years and Pharaoh said well looks like you're pretty wise you interpret the dream I'll put you in charge Genesis 41 41 and Pharaoh said to Joseph see I have set you over all the land of Egypt that's what you call a turnaround. In one day, you go from being a slave in a dungeon to being the viceroy of Pharaoh in Egypt? It's a great story. Very entertaining, very dramatic, very, very interesting, very inspiring. So Joseph has entered the success stage of his remarkable story. And he's second now only to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh's, you know, just 
does whatever Pharaoh wants to do. It's really, it's really Joseph that's running the show. Now, for a lot of people, that's the end of the story. For a lot of people, that's, you know, that's the whole goal. That's once upon a time, rags to riches, the end. That's, that's the story that a lot of people will be satisfied with, maybe most. Once upon a time, rags to riches, the end. Once upon a time, pit, prison, palace, the end. But that's not the end. Not for those who want to serve God. If you want to serve God, the end is never you. It's, it's not you. That's serving yourself. The end is not you. In fact, as we continue with the story, we discover that Joseph's remarkable success that can only be attributed to God. I mean, you don't go from the dungeon to viceroy of Egypt, except God does it. Right? It doesn't, that doesn't happen. But all of that, all of that was just a setup for what really matters. And what really matters is to become significant in contributing to the flourishing of other people. That's what matters. I mean, yeah, at 17, he's having this dream of greatness. But it was never about Joseph being great. It was about Joseph being in a place where he could contribute to the flourishing of other people. So, I'm trying to think here if I want to say this. It's always bad news when the preacher says that. That's... Look, I'll just say it this way. If, if I had been content with success... Because we had those seven years, you know, down there on Levin's Sycamore. And then we had the interim years, the seven more years, on Frederick, which was great growth. And then we moved in here. If I had been content with success, if I just said, you know, once upon a time, rags to riches, well, the end, I'd have never gone on a watered wine journey. I would have never done that. I mean, let's, can, can, let's just be honest about it. You know? You go back 20 years here at World Life Church, half our lifetime ago, even a little more. Wow. Amazing, Perry. It's amazing. By the, by the metrics that Americans like to measure success, ta-da. You know, it's all, everything's great. But I had this, yeah, yeah. It's unease, you know, you know the story. And so I started looking for something deeper, something richer, something better. The water needs to turn to wine. I'm looking for something better. But you know, and I found it at cost, but I found it by the truth, don't sell it. I found it, cost me, but I found it. But it wasn't, I mean, I, I enjoyed the, the transformation from water to wine in my own spiritual life. That was great, but it wasn't about me, not the end. It's rather so that I can help other people on the same journey. Because I'm going to send Zond on a little water to wine journey if he'll do it. And then he can point the way for others. So that when others begin to feel like, you know, Christianity is thin and it's weak. And they begin to be disillusioned. And they begin to deconstruct. 
that maybe he can help them not just walk away from it all, but to find something. See, it's just going from rags to riches, that's never the end of the story of God's in it. Because it's not about that. If God gives you some success in life, if God gives you some success in life, don't make the mistake of thinking it's about you. Because it's not. If God gives you some success in life, you need to go, oh, I guess I'm fixing to help some people. I'm, I, if God has blessed you, you look around and say, God's blessed me. My goodness. You don't just sit around and say, yeah, blessed. Fantastic. I'm just... I'll just go sit in my easy chair and just absorb blessing. No, if you're blessed, you look around and say, who am I supposed to bless? If you're succeeding, it's like, who am I supposed to help? If you're on top, who am I to lift up? If you're on top, you, don't, you, know, you look down and say, okay, who can I help? All right, so Joseph administrates Egypt during the seven years of plenty. And he's got storage cities and everything. He's really prepared. He's, he's, an, he's an anointed bureaucrat. And then the famine hits, the first year, second year. Meanwhile, back in Canaan, we'd almost forgot about the brothers, hadn't we? Meanwhile, back in Canaan, the famine is hitting hard there. And they've gone through all their store, and, and now they have to go to Egypt because they've heard there's grain in Egypt there's grain in Egypt so the brothers come to Egypt to buy grain and guess who they encounter they encounter Pharaoh's viceroy and they bow down to him and they have no idea it's their brother they haven't seen him in 22 years Last time they saw him, he was 17. Now he's 39. Last time they saw him, he was being sold into slavery to the Amalekites. Now he's the viceroy of Egypt. Safe to say they didn't see that coming. And so the dream has come true. The dream that he had when he was 17, just a kid, he dreams of the stalks bowing, and there they are. They're bowing down to Joseph. They have no idea that it's Joseph. The dream has come true. But here's the thing. Joseph does not gloat. Joseph is, ha, ha, ha. Payback. In fact, what Joseph does is he's overwhelmed with emotion. And he, he goes into another room and weeps. He doesn't reveal his identity at first at all. I mean, it's a complex story. I don't have time for all of it. He, he doesn't even speak to, even though he, of course, speaks their language, he still speaks through an interpreter. But there's times when he's just overwhelmed and he has to go into another room and he weeps. You should read the whole story. It's, it's quite moving. And there's a lot of details we've got to skip over. But suffice it to say, after a couple back and forths and some trips, eventually the entire household of Jacob, Jacob's still alive. He's 130 years old, but he's still alive. His whole household, 75 people, are relocated out of famine-stricken Canaan to Egypt where Joseph, the viceroy of Egypt, is providing for them. 
So the story of Joseph really is told in three stages. The dreamer has to go through three stages. Survival, success, significance. In all three stages, Joseph remains a dreamer, but he has his relationship to the dream, how he sees the dream changes. In the first stage, in the survival stage, Joseph sees the dream only in closed eyes. Right? I mean, he's dreaming of greatness, and he's in a pit. He's dreaming of greatness. He's sold to the Amalekites. He's dreaming of greatness. He's sold into slavery in Egypt. He's dreaming of greatness. He's falsely accused. He's dreaming of greatness. He's in a dungeon. The only way he can see the dream coming true is just close his eyes. Just close his eyes. Down on 11th Street, I did preach sometimes with my eyes closed because there was nobody there, and it bothered me. I really did that. They thought I was just being super spiritual. I just I couldn't bear to look. And so I just preached with my eyes closed. When he breaks through into success, now he still has the dream, but it's changed. Now he's seeing the dream through open eyes. It's coming to pass. It, what, what I dreamed of so long ago, and I've been through so much, it's coming to pass. It's, it's happening. It's happening now. But when he doesn't stop there and he moves into the stage of significance, now he sees the dream through other eyes. And he realized the dream was never about my greatness. The dream was about how am I going to save my family? That's what the dream was always about. In the end, Joseph's dream was never about Joseph becoming great. It was about being used of God to bring salvation to the house of Israel. So now let's look, let's look at how the story ends because it's one of the most beautiful stories in the Bible. Genesis 50, verse 15. This is, this is now 17 years after the house of Jacob, Israel, has moved to Egypt. And they've lived there with Joseph providing for them. They're given good places in the land of Goshen in Egypt. And after 17 years, at the age of 147, Jacob finally dies, and we pick the story up. Realizing that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers said, what if Joseph still bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all the wrong we did to him? Well, there's a lot of people like that. There's a lot of people that, you know, their their greatest ambition in life is to get payback on somebody. They tell me to be discreet for all intended purposes. They tell me revenge is sweet, and from where they stand, I'm sure it is. But I feel nothing for their game, where beauty goes unrecognized. All I feel is heat and flame, and all I see are dark eyes. I mean, if the greatness you're dreaming of results in you put in a position where you can extract payback, I pray that your dream never come true. Because what's the point of that? They're afraid, though. We did him wrong. If he's the payback kind of guy that most people are, we're doomed. Maybe he was just waiting for Dad to die, and then, then he's going to let us have it. 
So they approached Joseph saying, Your father gave this instruction before he died. Say to Joseph, I beg you, forgive the crime of your brothers and the wrong they did in harming you. Now, therefore, please forgive the crime of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. They still don't know him. Wouldn't you say that forgiveness is a pretty big theme in the Bible? I mean, it's like right up there, like God and then forgiveness. (laughs) It's the first mention of forgiveness in the Bible right here. At the close of Genesis, at the end of the Joseph story, we have the first time the word forgive appears in the Bible. And if Joseph doesn't forgive, the Bible story ends right here. And the Bible ends in a family feud. The Bible ends with a tale of revenge. We only get into Exodus and all the way to what comes after if Joseph forgives. Without forgiveness, there is no future. That's what Desmond Tutu taught us. Without forgiveness, there is no future. So Joseph is weeping. Then his brothers also wept, fell down before him and said, we are your slaves. There's there's the ultimate fulfillment of the dream. Right there. The ultimate fulfillment of the dream is his brothers. I mean, they they had scoffed at age 17 and said, are you going to reign over us? Are you going to have dominion over us? Now, of their own volition, they're falling down before him and saying, we're your slaves. They're bowing before him, saying, we are your slaves. But Joseph said to them, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. They're afraid. Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Even though you intended to do harm to me. He's telling the truth. He's not saying it didn't hurt. He's not saying, well, it was no big deal. It was a big deal. Yeah, being betrayed by your brother, sold into slavery that leads to 13 years of suffering is a big deal. He says, I know, you did wrong, and you intended to harm me. But God intended it for good. There's Romans 8.28, a long time before we get to Romans 8.28. God causes all things to work together for good to those that love God and are called according to His purpose. God intended it for good in order to preserve a numerous people as he is doing today. So have no fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. In this way, he reassured them, speaking kindly to them. So, where do we find Jesus in the Joseph story? Well... I think we know. The entire story of Joseph's life bears the contours of the story of Jesus. The story of Joseph is a gospel story because of how it anticipates the story of Jesus. Like Joseph, Jesus is the beloved son of the Father 
who although destined for lordship, was first scorned by his own people, then betrayed into the hands of Gentiles, and finally cast into the pit of Sheol. But like Joseph, he was not forgotten by God. For he was raised out of the pit on the third day and exalted to the right hand of God and given the name above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, earth, and hell and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is our brother Savior who says, don't be afraid, I will take care of you. Jesus is our brother's Savior who says, yes, I forgive you. Don't be afraid. I will take care of you. That's where we find Jesus in the story of Joseph. Shall we stand? Lord, I have so much in my heart that I want to pray right now. I pray for those that don't have any dreams. I pray the Spirit would begin to inspire dreams. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would help people here to see that the dead end is not a dead end. Because you are the God of resurrection. You give life to the dead and call those things which be not as though they were. So Lord, I pray for those that have no dreams that dreams would be resurrected I pray for those that are struggling that are in that survival phase they're just hanging on just barely hanging on Lord give them the needed encouragement in this moment Lord may this sermon affirm the validity of their dream that they're holding on to and help them Lord hold on just a little bit longer because the turnaround's coming Lord those that are beginning to succeed Lord, I pray that they wouldn't fall for the trap of thinking that's the end, that that's it, that that's what it's all about. Those that are, those that can testify that I'm blessed. Lord, I pray that they wouldn't just stop there and land there and settle there and, and rot there. Lord, I pray that they would then be able to look around and say, who, who can I help? How can I help? What can I do? Because there's others that that need some of what I have. So Lord, I ask that you would help us to to not just be a rag to riches story, but to be a Joseph kind of story. So we arrive at the place where we are really helping our brothers and sisters. But most of all, I just want to thank you, Jesus, that you are, yes, our betrayed brother who forgives it all, You come back from the pit of death. You come back from hell. You come back from Hades. You come back from Sheol. You come back from crucifixion. And you don't come back talking about paybacks. You don't come back talking about revenge. You don't come back like that. You come back saying, peace be with you. You come back saying, don't be afraid. You come back saying, I forgive it all. You come back saying, fear not, I will take care of you. And so, Lord Jesus, we maybe we can just lift our hands. Jesus, we lift our hands to you. We do worship you. We do 
as it were, fall down before you. We are your slaves, but there's no fear in our hearts because we know that you are kind. That you're speaking kindly to us right now on this Sunday morning. You're not calling up our sins. You forgive them. They're forgotten. They're moved as far as the east is from the west. You don't bring up our sins. You speak kindly to us. Thank you, Jesus. You are our brother, Savior, who forgives all of our sins, heals all of our diseases, redeems our life from the pit, crowns us with loving kindness and mercy, mercy so that our youth is renewed like the eagle. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Well, let's confess our faith and make our confession and prepare to receive the body and blood of the Lamb. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, He rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now let's confess our sins. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. God is gracious to all who confess their sins and in humility ask for mercy. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, your sins are forgiven. And this is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love Him and for those who want to love Him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little, you who have been here often and you who have not been here long, you who have tried to follow and you who have failed, come, because it is the Lord who invites you. It is His will that those who want Him should meet Him here. The body of Christ, broken for you. The blood of Christ, shed for you.